I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm probably one of the most controversial preachers in America. I try to go to the facts of something. I don't care what statements of faith someone has preached. I don't care about the Westminster Confession. I do believe in predestination. I preach that. It has a tremendous broad understanding to it. I do not believe in a pre-trib rapture. Uh, there is no such thing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 51, 15, 51, and 52, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, will not be dead, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trump. Last is the word eschatos. I've talked about this the last three messages, but I got something to say I haven't said to you. Eschatos is the word last. And we get our word eschatology, E-S-C-H-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Eschatology means a study of the end times. Eschatos means the last in a series after which no other trumpet will sound. You've got, you've got seven trumpets in Revelation 8th chapter, ninth chapter, and 10th chapter. Someday we'll go through 8th and ninth. And 10 and 7, the Bible says Christ is going to come back and he's going to have one foot on the land and the other on the sea at the signing of the seventh or the last trump. And he's going to say, time is no more. At the sign of the seventh trumpet is when we're going to take, be taken up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. At the signing of the last trump. There is no thousand-year reign after everything's over with. The seventh trumpet sounds. There is no tribulation period of seven years. We're going to live through the tribulation, and for the last 2,000 years from Acts 2 to the end of time, I believe it'll be right at 2,000 years. Um, that's what, it's not 1,000 years. It doesn't even say that. So in 10 and 7, that's when the last trump sounds or the seventh trump sounds. Last trump. And that's when time is over. Time is over. Would a thousand years be time? Would seven years be time? <laughs> there is no time after the seventh trump. The Bible says so. I can't see how these preachers have come to any of the conclusion. Now, let me tell you where they get it. Let me read a verse where they get it. Let's go back to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Now I've got some sources I've never heard anybody else read. All right. Revelation 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having a key of the bottomless pit. 
and a great chain in his hand. It's not the word chain. It just means to bind. And bottomless pit doesn't mean a hole in the ground that never, that never ends. Bottomless pit, I said it the other day, abusos, A-B-U-S-S-O-S, and it comes from the word bathos, means something with great knowledge. When you have the alpha privative, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, in front of a word as a negative particle, and that is the word abusos, it translates abusos, it means no knowledge. The alpha privative negates bathos, it means no knowledge. No one in the world had the truth except Israel. All of the 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 base world system was considered a place of no knowledge of truth. Alright, let's go back over here to one of the maps. Alright. I'll get there in just a minute. Just bear with me. Don't leave. Okay. Now this is the world. This is the all the civilized world is civilized as it can be in the first century where the Romans were ruling. It wasn't very civilized. They were killing Christians right and left and anybody else they wanted to kill. This is the world right here. This is the world of the Bible right there. It has the Strait of Gibraltar right here. That's just a little thin strait between northern Africa and southern Spain right here. And that's the world. This is the sea where the beast rises up out of. The beast is Babylon on the Euphrates River. Persia, which is the same thing as Iran, Iran, uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, so forth. And then Babylon is overthrown by the beast. Persia, which is the same thing as Persia. Then Persia is overthrown by Greece. And notice they all have their borders on the sea. And then Greece is subjugated. Its four generals are subjugated by Rome. So, And Rome is the beast with iron teeth. Greece is the leopard, and this is all in Daniel 7 and in Revelation 13. And the, and the lion is Babylon, and the bear, being the largest carnivore in the world, equates with Persia or, or the, the second base, the bear, since Persia had the largest armies and the bear is the largest carnivore in the world. Now, now I'm going to read something to you here so all of the world had no truth so Satan is bound into the world away from God's people when you look at Israel you think of spiritual Israel as us so he is bound away from us and the reason I say bound away he's forbidden and then it goes on to say, And he laid hold, this angel laid hold, on the dragon, that old serpent, dragon, dracon means one that, in, one that fascinates or enchants, that old serpent which is the devil, and bound him a thousand years. It does not say thousand 
it says Kilia. And evidently the translators did not know what to do. Here's the amazing thing to show you they didn't know what to do. When you look in Strong's Concordance, it will say Kilioi. When you look in the interlinear Bible, it will say Kilia. It just shows you they did not know how to translate it. Why didn't they know how to translate this into thousand? I've got several sources. I've got a book here called Words of Mathematics by Stephen Swartzman. He's a Etymological Dictionary of Mathematical Terms. It'll tell you the origin of where things come from. Zeros were very hard to translate, and people don't even know that. I do not believe the, the translators knew anything about zeros. I've got a book here. I've had this for years. The Nothing That Is Natural History of zeros, an entire book on it. Zeros. Well, I'll show you something on that in a minute. Let me read something out of this etymological book on mathematics. Zero. Plural are zeros, a variant of the Arabic cipher, C-I-F-R, meaning empty, Translated from the corresponding Hindu word sunya, since the Hindus apparently were the first to develop the concept of zero. Now, in this book here, History of Zero, I'll just read you the heading of one of the chapters. The Greek word, the Greeks had no word for zero. No word then evidently that thousand has been somebody's opinion those guys I do not believe the translators since half of them were Roman Catholic of the King James Bible knew anything about numbers I've studied numbers for years I've got all kinds of books on numbers besides these two here I don't believe the translators knew how to translate it at all you can forget zero, zero, zero. Even Mr. Bullinger says any multiple of ten, a hundred, or a thousand is a form of the original number. Now I've got a set of papers. You say, is there that much mistakes in the King James Bible? Oh, absolutely. They won't tell you. There's no way you can understand unless you go into McClinic and Strong or you go into Robert Baker Girdlestone and look up. These are Greek scholars. Unless you go into Robert Baker Girdlestone's uh, book about Old Testament uh, Greek where they had translated in the Septuagint. They did not know that baptize. Now, how are you going to know this unless you study this? Baptize, when we translated it, we translated baptize. It means to immerse or sprinkle with water. 
That's not what the word means. That's a verb that we translate it into. You can't translate nouns into verbs. It was a noun, baptizo. It was an infinitive that is has verbal character to it, but it is a infinitive. And a blood baptism was a death. Baptize, they didn't know what to do with this word baptizo. Baptize comes from baptizo and bapto. Even when you look that up in your Strong's Concordance, it will tell you that the word baptizo means to cover. It does not say, or it says to whelm. To whelm, overwhelm something, it means to overwhelm. To overwhelm something does not mean to dip it. Where the dipping come from? The Pharisees. Where did thousand come from? You know, I believe it came from, I believe 1,000 years came from Halakha. Now that's what I believe. And I got a reason for believing that. Because you get the, in the McClinican Strong, when you look up millennium, it'll tell you the Pharisees started that. They wanted their own kingdom for a thousand years, and it started with them. But you have to look up millennium. Now, what do I look up? I look at Advent. Adventist, Adventism, I look up thousand, kilia, kilio, and it always takes me back to millennium in the McClinican Strong. I look up everything. Now, so he says Satan will be bound a thousand years. How did the Jews know to translate that? They had no word for zeros in the first century. This will tell you about how it started. It will tell you the Hindus started the zeros. It moved into Egypt, and it wasn't until a long time after the first century that the Jews accepted zeros. So there's no way that can mean exactly that. Now, let me read the rest of this. The Hindu Surya, S-U-N-Y-A, since the Hindus apparently were the first to develop the concept of zero. You say, is that important? It's all important. Because we got something. Preachers are preaching all over America. There's a thousand year reign. I don't believe that. Time ends at the signing of the seventh trump. That's the last trump when we're taken out to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't know why I can find these things, and intelligent men have never studied them. I've never heard anybody talk about last trump. Have you? Nobody. That's the time factor of the end of time, when there's time no more. When you use a zero, a part of a number written in place value notation, you're keeping a particular place empty. The Arabic word took on varying forms. I'm reading out of this etymological book on mathematics. This has nothing to do with the Bible. It's just a book on mathematics. 
including Zeraphim, Zephyro, and Cipher. The modern form zero seems to have appeared in print for the first time in 1491 A.D. What? In De Arithmetica Apostulum by Philippi Calendri. Although the number zero is logically speaking neither singular or plural. When you look up the word kilia and kilioi, it's plural. But they say zeros are never singular or plural. That's why they say any multiple of ten, a hundred, or a thousand is a form of the original number. You have to have what's called a determiner in order to stipulate something besides the one thousand. That's not even a good translation. Because it's not Killy or Killy. It's either Killy or Killy Oi. Yeah, when you say thousand, and they were using Roman numerals in Israel, when you say thousand in Roman numerals, this is thousand right there, M. That's thousand. Now, is this important that we find this out? Oh, yeah, because they're preaching a pre-trib rapture and a thousand-year reign, and there's going to be people living and dying during the thousand-year reign. When Christ comes back with the seventh trumpet of the last trump, all his enemies will be destroyed, and the last enemy that will be destroyed in 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is death. Nobody will be dying after we're taken out to meet the Lord in there. Nobody. You can't have seven years of tribulation where people are dying all through it. You can't have a thousand year reign where the, everybody that believes in it says people are dying all through it. I'm just trying to inform you about zero today. English has picked one of the two when countable noun follows. In that case, it treats zero as plural. It treats zero as plural, but it doesn't mean it is. I allow zero pets in my house. Since zero is a late addition to English numbers. It's a late addition to English numbers. The corresponding cardinal is zeroth, which borrows the suffix from the higher ordinals, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, etc., rather than from the arithmetical closer but linguistically more regular 1st, 2nd, or 3rd. In algebra, we can make the seemingly contradictory statement that 4 is a 0, is a 0 of a function, meaning that when 4 is plugged into the function, the value taken on by the function is zero. Now, let me read something else to you. That's, I had asked Mike when he was teaching at Vol State. I got more to say about this book. I said, see if they got a book on entomology up there. He went into their library, and they had some, and he bought one for him and one for me. So this is, Mathematics. I go into 153 in this book also. And that was a mathematical phenomenon. 153. And boy, I've taught on that, haven't I? They caught 153 fish. 
when Peter and seven of his apostle friends went fishing with him. 1071. Now, let me read something to you out of this book here. I'm going to go through this book on... I haven't gone through it thoroughly. But he says here, it has all of these strange ways they counted. I don't. I can't put them on the board. It's very strange. When they were... This is 12... This is going to look strange to you. This is 12 in the ancient world. 12. See, we don't know nothing about this. 12. Uh, not 12. 2. 2 times. And this is this is 60. 60. Plus, <laughs> I can't give you all this. It's weird. This is seven here. This is the way they counted in the ancient world. I'm sorry, but that's the way it was. You can deal with it or not. It's just that thousand is not the word in Revelation 20. And we know that by looking at the other figures. The last trump. The last trump sounds when time is over. That's not hard to understand, is it? And then they go into... And the Greeks had no word for zero. No word. Why had it taken so long to signify nothing? See, without a zero, you're not going to have ten. You're not going to have a hundred. You're not going to have a thousand. We needed zeros to make large amounts of money. To know how much we're going to pay for a house. Why did it take so long to signify nothing? Why was the use of zero after that still so hesitant and why having surfaced did it submerge again? The reasons reached down to the ways we turn thoughts and words into each other and the amusement that can cause them as now amusement too. Think of the ready pleasure we take in Gershwin's. I got plenty of nothing. Nothing's plenty for me. I got plenty of nothing. Nothing's plenty for me. An old song out of the 30s. And then they go into all these things on zero. I don't have time to go through all these. Let's see if I got something else here marked. Maybe. Um, I'll go through some of this. Because this is important for us to understand. There's been a mistranslation. There was a lot of mistranslation. Let me give you another mistranslation. Do I believe in the Roman Catholics that helped translate the King James Bible? No, I don't believe in them. The head translator in God's Secretaries, I got a book called God's Secretaries. 
I think I got a copy of it here and one at home. It's called God's Secretaries, and it's about the translation of the King James Bible. And they tell you in the God's Secretaries that the head translator was Lancelot Andrews. He was a Roman Catholic priest. You think maybe he had something to do with this messing things up? It's not the King James Bible that's inspired. It's the Textus Receptus, which is the interlinear Bible. It's got the Greek on the top line, and it's got the English right under it. And I don't even trust the English. I go to that word and pull it out and try to evaluate it. I do not believe. I don't think most people know that our King James Bible is not the exact translation of the Word of God. Boy, that makes people mad. Do you believe in the uh, the NIV? No, the NIV and the RSV and the rest of those come out of the Westcott and Hort text. Don't believe that at all. I believe we need to get an interlinear Bible, pull the Greek word out, look at it, and study it. Now, I've got to give you one other place where there's been a bad translation going to Hebrews. Hebrews, the third chapter. This is one of my favorite mistranslations in the King James Bible. Does that mean I'm smarter than those guys? No. What it means is I'm more objective than a bunch of Roman Catholics in 1605 to 1611. I'm more objective. I want the exact truth. They were translating for the Roman Catholic system is what they were doing. King James Bible, you can get a lot of truth out of it, but you can't get all the total truth. When it says here, now, when you read it in the in the third chapter of Hebrews, it's talking about in that first chapter, in that third chapter, it's talking about Israel wandering in the wilderness, murmuring against God, and they harden their hearts against God as in the provocation. That's when they provoked God and said, you brought us out in Egypt to die. You brought us out of Egypt into the wilderness to die. And they wanted to kill Moses and Aaron, the children of Israel did. But you got to connect that to Numbers, the 13th and 14th chapters. I've taught on that in detail. Harden not your hearts, in verse 8, as in the provocation, in the day in which of temptation in the wilderness. They were provoking God. That's what they were doing. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years, Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath. It looks like it's God's wrath, doesn't it? It's not what it says in the original text. It doesn't say that. So I swore in tay, the feminine gender, my looks like it's masculine gender, looks like it's God's wrath. That's not what it says. It says, I swore in tay, O-R-G, Ada. Ada is feminine. Hey is feminine. Be wrath, it's feminine gender. It's not God's wrath. What is the mother of all idolatry? Babylon. 
and they were murmuring against God. I swore in the wrath of the people. You know what it actually says when you look in the interlinear Bible? It says, so I swore in the wrath, M-O-U. Moo. It says, the wrath of me. He says, the rage of the people came from me. That's what it says. It doesn't say my wrath. That's one of the mistakes in the King James Bible. Now, I'm not going to spend time on that. There's a whole bunch of mistakes. I've spent years looking at some of those. Now, let me give you something else. This is something I got off the Internet. And this comes out of the Wiktionary of Free Dictionary. Out of the, off the Internet. Wiktionary, W-I-K-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y. It gives you all these definitions from thousands from different cultures. And it will tell you. The thing is, nobody bothered to study numbers or zeros. It just, they didn't bother to. Unlike numerals up to 99, the word thousand is a noun. It never was a verb. It never was. We think of numbers as adjectives. One or two, three, four, five. Five birds. Adjectives tell which, what kind of, and how many. How many birds? It's an adjective. Five birds. Five is an adjective saying how many birds there are. Thousand is not an adjective. 999 birds is an adjective. There were 999 birds flying south of the winter. But thousand is not. Thousand is a noun just, and he says that in this paper. It's a noun like dozen, like deer, like fish. How many fish were there? You catch a fish or you catch many fish. You, you see one deer in the meadow or you see a hundred deer in the meadow, but it's still deer. And thousand is is a noun. One thousand is a singular noun. It's a form of one. And do I believe these guys knew what they were doing when they translated thousand? No. I don't believe they knew at all what they were doing. I don't even believe the translators studied numbers. If they had it, they'd have gone outside of Israel to try to figure out what all this meant. And then he says in this Wiktionary, see, there's so many things you can learn on the Internet. English terms, oh, he says, it's a noun like dozen and needs a determiner to function as a numeral. That's like when the Bible speaks of 1,203 score days. The fact's that 203 score, that matches up with the last 70th week of Daniel's 70 weeks. Therefore, 1,000 
203 score is a determiner concerning 1,000. It determines that it's 1,000 and not 2,000. Let me read some more of this. It doesn't take S's when preceded by a determiner. There's so much to translate in the Bible. I don't believe these guys really cared that much. Most of them were fighting for Catholic retention, trying to retain Roman Roman Catholic meanings. English terms derived from Middle English. English terms derived from Old English. English terms derived from Photo-Germanic English. English terms with IPA pronunciation. English terms with audio links. And so forth. It goes on and on. Now, more on that. I've read some of this to you before, but I've never read stuff connected. I'm trying to tell you there's no thousand years. End of time comes at the signing of the very last trump. Well, I'm the only guy that's ever studied this. I don't know. Um, Words forming their plural by adding S are one pattern. A sub-pattern would be words adding ES. Another pattern is words that change their stem vowels, such as goose to geese. Geese is plural. Goose is singular. You see, there's more to singular and plural. You have any idea? Definite article. Well, let me read this. Definite article in English. The definite article is the word the. The. There's one definite article in the English. That gives. That takes you to more errors because you cannot properly translate Greek into English. Just can't be done. And I've shown you this before. This is out of G. Gershom Machen's New Testament Greek for Beginners. These charts came out of his book. This is the word the in the Greek. Right here. Masculine, feminine, neuter, gender in the singular. Masculine, feminine, neuter, gender in the plural. This is how you spell the word the, depending on where it is in the sentence. Nominative, that's the predicate nominative, or the subject. The subject is the same thing as a predicate nominative. Jim is the pastor. Pastor and Jim are the same. This is shows, genitive case shows possession. Baptism of repentance. Just the fact that of repentance is genitive case. It means bab- true baptism belongs to a person that's repenting. That means it's not water. I don't know why nobody ever saw that. Dative case is the indirect object. Accusative case is the direct object. Direct object receives the action of the verb. Jim threw the ball. Jim ball is the direct object that Jim threw. And Jim threw the ball to John. John would be the indirect object. That would be the native case. That's how thee is spelled. When the Bible, Jesus said, the way you know in John 14, 3, 2 and 3, 
the way you know he used the word hey the feminine gender singular the way you know and then he said i am the way taste i am the feminine way he's talking to the wife the nucleus of the church the wife the bride the 12 apostles and they're the wife the bride of christ i am the way that's in your heart that's not translatable unless you put right after the feminine gender but they'll say you're adding to the word of god you can't do that that's right so we're going to have to figure that out ourselves aren't we i don't know what to do other than expose some of these guys boy the king james only people they're going to get furious at me you guys don't know what you're doing and then definite article they had no indefinite articles in the Greek a and an none how are you going to tell if it's a it's going to have to go by the context and most of the writers will say it depends on the context and you have to see for that yourself well then who's depends on who's who's determining the context doesn't it Boy, we've got a wrestling match to figure out what the Word of God actually means in some of these things. Indefinite article in the English, the indefinite article is the word a or an in the sentence. It gives you a, a, a way to look at the indefinite article. Indefinite means an apple. An apple means there could be another apple. The apple means a particular apple in a particular situation. Let me read this. I keep saying this is out of the Wiktionary, off the Internet. They're not going to go along with 1,000, in the first century Greek. It's not there. It wasn't. Was Revelation written in the Greek? Yeah. When you get to 1,000, is there a Greek word for 1,000? No. Is there Greek zeros? No. So somebody just put it down the way they wanted it. The way you find out is you look at the time factor of the last trump and when the Bible. Always look for the time factor. Time is no more. That's just like the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians I told you the other day. That that you saw not as of earth which have no hope. That those of us that believe in Jesus, we will not go before those that are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Kaluma, K E L E U M A. And this is the very verse that all the pre trib rapture people use. Say, this is the time factor of the pre trib rapture. K E L E U M A. Means a war cry. Now, what in the world is God doing making a war cry at the beginning of a secret coming? That's what I want to know. What's he doing making a war cry? All right, charge! Don't wait. Shh, shh, shh. Come on up here to heaven for seven years and we'll get quiet now. It's idiocy. We were to live and remain. Peri Lipa. I've said this before, P-E-R-I-L-E-I-P-O, means to survive like you're going to survive a great slaughter. 
remain doesn't mean I'm walking around on, on my job remaining. It means you're surviving a slaughter of the church. Yeah, we're going to live through the tribulation. We're going to live to the end. I may not. I may be dead in ten years or five. That's the way I feel at times. Now, there's some more of this I want to read to you, this article. The Greek article is generally translated the. The rule is to translate according to the presence or absence of the article. If an article is present, translate it. If there is no article, do not use the. If there is no article, you insert a before the noun if it makes better sense in English. Did you hear what I said? If it makes better sense in English. Who gets to define the sense? If you don't know all the other verses. The man that's reading it? No. It has to be somebody that's completely objective making the sense. You will soon discover that the Greeks do not use the article the same way we do. They use it when we never would. And they omit it when English demands it. Languages are not codes and they're not the exact word for word correspondence. Therefore, you should be a little, a little flexible at this point. As you work through the following chapters, I will note some of the differences. And then it goes into Greek often includes the article with abstract nouns such as the truth. Did you know when you have a proper noun in the Greek, there's always the definite article before it, the. It's like John 3.16 does not say, for God so loved the world. Look in your inner Bible. It will say, for ho theos. Ho, T-H-E. O-S. The God. That's what it says in John 3.16. says it in the interlinear from the original text. For the God so loved the world. And it, that way it eliminates any other God. Somebody wants to argue with you. Now, I've got so many things. I'm just sharing some of the things with you. It'll tell you, Kilius, a feminine noun plural. Plural means it's more than 1,000. An adjective, kilioi, an adjective plural, so it doesn't matter whether it's one or the other, it's still plural. It'd be more than 1,000, it'd be two, 3,000 more. This comes out of most Greek scholars tell us, i.e., the ones we have talked to, to our English language does not read as does the Greek. What we read in English is not what the Greek says. Kilius, Kilioi, found in Strong's dictionary attached to his concordance, we find him defining Kilius as a thousand or one thousand, which is correct as found in some translations of the scriptures, but not correct as to meaning, as to its meaning, which is thousands. 
what you're going to do with it. You're going to have to look at all the associated scriptures. I just thought I'd give you some of this before I got on with the teaching. I do not believe in a millennium. Mill annum. First of all, that's bad translation. Because mill means a thousand, annum means years. It's not a thousand years, it has to be two thousand. And you got to look at the words. When the Bible says, bound Satan for, and it has to be 2,000 years, and it's the whole idea of it is to keep him from deceiving the nations. I keep saying this. Nation is the word ethnos. Ethnos is the word nation. Ethnos is also the exact word. It's nation or Gentile. And Satan is going to be forbidden, bound. Bound is the word, means to forbid. It's the word dio. It's the exact opposite of luo, which means to permit. He's forbidden from deceiving the Gentiles for a 2,000-year period. There's a Gentile church that he cannot deceive from Acts 2 until the end. And that must, that may be, that may be one reason we're close to the end. Maybe God had these guys mistranslate the word thousand so it'll keep people confused. No man knows the day nor the hour, but I'll give you signs. Maybe that's the reason, because he wanted the world confused. You can't trust man in everything he does. Have you figured that out yet? Just because somebody, this is the translation of the Bible. It is. Are you sure? Have you studied it? Now, I've been talking about, everybody keeps saying, all these Baptists and these Pentecostals and Southern Baptists, Independent Baptists, they keep saying that the kingdom of God is in the future and it's the thousand years in the future. We've got to clear up what the kingdom of God is. You want to know where you can really start? Look at McClinic and Strong and look at heaven and kingdom of heaven. You've got kingdom of God this is out of McClinic and Strong. Kingdom of God and heavens. If you don't have McClinic and Strong, you can get it on the internet. Just take your search engine and search McClinic and Strong Encyclopedia, and it'll pop up on your screen. And then you can go to the K volume. You look up Kingdom of Heaven, and they'll tell you. John MacArthur was preaching on this this past week. He was saying that the kingdom of God was the millennium. That's crazy. Because those people believe that there's a seven year, seven years of tribulation. What do they believe that's for? They say that's for the Jews only. 
Jews. The, the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. And then they say there's going to people be dying all through that seven years, and people are going to be born through this thousand-year reign, and they're going to be dying in the thousand-year reign. And that Satan's going to rise up at the end of the thousand years for a short season. This is what they teach. It doesn't make any sense. And if if the seventh trumpet sounds at the beginning of the tribulation, that's where we're taken out to meet the Lord, and he conquers all of his enemies, how can people be dying during the seven years? And how can people be be born and dying in that thousand-year reign? It's not possible. You understand what I'm saying? It's not possible for people to be dying in the seven years and in the thousand years if there was such a thing because that contradicts the very Word of God itself. Now, Kingdom of God, when you look that up, it will tell you Kingdom of God is the same thing as Kingdom of Christ. It's the same thing as Kingdom of Heaven. It says Kingdom of God or Heaven. I read one writer, he said the reason they changed it from kingdom of God to kingdom of heaven, they only changed it in Matthew. Anytime uh, Mark and Luke will say the same verses and Luke, they will use kingdom of God and Matthew will use kingdom of heaven. And he'll use it in the same corresponding verses. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, that's a present tense verb, theirs is, at the time they're poor in spirit, poor, P-T-O-C-H-O-S, tokos, means emptied out of self. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Or it actually says kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. Luke 6 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, there's the kingdom of God. One writer said the, the Jews got a hold of this about 200 years B.C. And they said we don't want anyone bringing reproach on the name of God so instead of saying God they erased the the O and called it G-D and they changed it from God to heaven and that's why they say Matthew one of the reasons Matthew is written more to the Jewish converts than Luke and, and Mark and Luke because wherever they say God, say heaven over here in Matthew, it'll say God. And that they did that for Jewish people. Now, let me see if I can read anything else to you out of here. He says, all of this kingdom of heaven was doubtless to be used in a spiritual sense. That's what I've been telling you, spiritual Israel. But the Jews at large gave to these prophecies a temporal meaning and expected a Messiah who should come back in the clouds of heaven and king of the Jewish nation restore the ancient religion and worship. Jews during Jesus' time were expecting a Messiah to come and deliver them away from 
that pagan Rome who was ruling them. They were the beast with iron teeth, and the beast with iron teeth was ruling them with a rod of iron, just cutting down everybody, and they couldn't handle that. Let me get back to it. I need to know which way to go on this when I'm looking for something. All right. There's my favorite map. All right. Now, the Jews expected a Messiah to come and deliver them from this beast with iron teeth that was just cutting the world down. They were slaughtering, butchering the Christians and until Constantine brought Christmas into the church. I'm not going to go into that now. Then you've got heaven in your McClinican Strong. The first thing it says about heaven, the Jews believed in seven heavens. We know of three heavens. It goes on to say that whatever the scene of a prophetic vision is laid, heaven symbolizes, signifies symbolically the ruling power or government. That's what heaven symbolized. That was Israel as long as they were obeying God. They were the heavens. They could actually whip anybody in the world, and it didn't matter how many there were. I got something else I'm going to read to you. This is a documentation day. I got two things I want to read to you. This is out of McClinic and Strong Psychopedia. McClinic and Strong was researched between 1850 and 1885. And it is amazing what they've got in it. When you look up millennium in it, they will go into it and the, the uh, McClinic and Strong will tell you it is true that the Kiliastic or Kilia thousand year doctrine wears a Judaic stamp. Judaic means Jewish. Wears a Judaic stamp and arose in some degree from Judaic influences but as as Dorner has observed there is one marked distinction between the millenarian views of Christians and all Jewish theories of messianic kingdom they were wanting their own messianic kingdom Christian millenarians unanimously considered the earthly kingdom as limited in its duration they were tracing down the history of the doctrine of millenarianism, a thousand-year reign. We find that Justin Martyr received it. Justin Martyr's a little bit on the off side. They said Tertullian received it, and he was nuts. He was an early church father. But Tertullian said that the New Jerusalem was going to be on the southwestern end of Turkey. I think that's funny. Southwestern end of Turkey is where New Jerusalem, and that's us, the church. Let me read this to you. 
in the dialogue with Trifo, these are early church historians, he says that he himself and many others hold that Jerusalem will be built again as a residence for Christ with the patriarchs and saints. He says that there are many of pure and devout Christians' minds who are not of the same opinion, but he adds, I and all other Christians whose belief is in every respect correct know that there will be both a resurrection of the flesh and a thousand years in Jerusalem. And what's funny to me, Revelation the 11th chapter calls Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt. And it calls the church, heavenly Jerusalem, the church. In Hebrews 12. It's everything these guys are coming up with contradicts the Bible. And Justin quotes in support of the opinion. And then Augustine gives you his opinion. Augustine is considered one of the great early church fathers. Augustine's treatment of the subject of millennium marks an epoch. He says that he has once held to the millenarian Sabbath. Evidently, Augustine studied it. He once held to the millenarian Sabbath for a thousand years, nor does he consider the doctrine objectable, objectionable provided. The joys of the righteous are figured as spiritual, but proceeding to discuss the subject, he advocates the proposition that the earthly kingdom of Christ is the church. That's what Augustine said. <laughs> and most everybody will quote Augustine and quote him as an authority, which was even then in the millennial era on the road to a glorious ascendancy over all its enemies, it would seem that this modified interpretation of prophecy, it's a modified interpretation by men with their opinions. But proceeding the discussion, but proceeding to discuss the subject, he advocates the proposition that the earthly kingdom of Christ is the church which was even then in the millennial era. Even during Augustine's time, the millennium was here is what he was saying. That's what I keep saying. It's here. Except it's not millennium. It's 2,000 years. It would seem that this modified interpretation of prophecy, sustained as it was by the authority of the principal Latin father, gave color to the medieval speculations on this subject as the year of our Lord 1000 approached. They thought the millennium was coming. They thought the end of time was coming when they go out of the out of the 10th century, out of the 900s to 1000. All the preachers started preaching it that the end was coming in the year 1000. Missed that, didn't they? As the year of our Lord 1000 approached, it was natural corollary that the judgment and end of the world would soon occur. At the Reformation, the traditional method of interpreting the book of Revelation was abandoned. Boy, they've gone in and out of it. Let me give you something else. Here's Enoch Pond, church historian, 
I'm going to read to you what they thought when the year 1000 was coming. It's kind of funny. Because they thought the end of the world was coming at the end of 1000. They thought that was the thousand year reign. All of the best scholars thought that back then. Do we need to trust them? No. Do we need to trust these guys that translated the Bible to some degree as long as they stay on something that's not real controversial but they didn't know what to do with the zeros you understand what I'm saying is that difficult to understand it I'm sorry I have to read all this to you but it's the only way to tell you this is Enoch Pond he was a he was born in 1791, I believe it was. Died in 1882 or something along that line. And he's talking about, he's got a book on church history. He was what the, he was what the Puritans called themselves after they quit calling themselves Puritans. And he's, he was a professor at a seminary for 50 years. Very conservative. I'm reading to you what he says they, that were thinking as 960, 970. They're getting close to the year 1000. Finally, we may notice among the superstitions of the age the great excitement which prevailed in the 10th century. The 10th century would be from 900 to 1000 A.D. That would be the 10th century. Which prevailed in the 10th century respecting the approaching day of judgment and the end of the world. That's what they were looking for. Christ was expected to come at that time not to commence the millennial period but rather to close it because they thought they were in the millennium then. The opinion prevailed that Satan was bound at the first advent of Christ and that having now been confined for almost a thousand years, the period of his release was just at hand. They were messed up on their theology. This doctrine began to be preached by Bernhard, a monk of Thorogenia, about the year 960. He relied not alone upon the revelation of Scripture, but like others, fanatics, upon the special revelations vouchsafed to himself, guaranteed to himself. There appeared something plausible in this doctrine, and it was peculiarly adapted to the superstitions of the age. There were a lot of superstitions. And then it says... But the century closed. <laughs> Nothing happened. And the course of nature moved right on, and I gave no heed. It gave no heed, neither to the prediction of the monks or to the terrors of those who had deluded by them. The people at length returned to their homes, repaired their buildings, and resumed their former occupations. And the principal effect of this stupendous panic was a vast increase of the property of the church, mostly the Roman Catholic Church. They all sold their houses and took the money down to the Catholic Church. So their, the fact that they were preaching a false doctrine increased their coffers. That's enough reading this. That's a great book, Mr. Mr. Uh, 
Mr. Pond was a Congregationalist. Congregationalist is what the Puritans called themselves when they quit calling themselves Puritans. He was a Congregationalist. He believed in predestination. He believed in the truths. I, I don't. I trust historians to be more correct than you've got. Williston Walker, an excellent historian. Mr. Pond, a great historian, and they say things. Uh, Mr. Williston Walker will tell you that the that the uh, the cracker and the grape juice broke off of the agape love feast around 156 A.D. and became a liturgy or ritual in the church. Church historians know more about the church than you have any idea. That'd be enough. All I'm doing is trying to give you documentation. That thousand is not the word. It's just not. There was no zeros in among the Greeks when they wrote these books. No zeros. How are they coming up with thousand? Evidently, the translators made it up whatever they wanted it to be. Now, if the if the kingdom of God is the church, how do you show that? How do you prove that? Well, first of all, you learn Matthew. Let me erase this. This take me this take me a while to get through this. This is like teaching a course, I guess you can see that. When I read these things to you out of some of these books, these are very accountable, responsible men. Let me go through some of these verses about the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say when the Pharisees came to him in Luke 17, 20, and 21? The Pharisees said, Are you going to restore the kingdom of God at this time? You have to understand the state of Israel. Israel at the time of Jesus was just a satellite nation of the Roman Empire. It wasn't an independent nation. Rome would rule. Rome was ruling all the world. They were ruling over here in Cyprus. We know that because when, when the king of Egypt... Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes, came down. He's coming here from from uh, Syria. He was the king of Syria. Comes down south of Egypt, and he's going to attack Egypt. And the word gets out to Rome that he's going to attack Egypt. Well, Rome called the the Caesars called themselves king of kings. Oops, wait a minute, I think that's Jesus' title, isn't it? It is Jesus' title. Upon his thigh is a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords, or the Word of God. And the reason they called themselves King of Kings, and so did Persia, so did Greece, so did Babylon. They called themselves Kings of Kings because they would rule all the earth. And when he was trying, when Antiochus Epiphanes was trying to attack Egypt, he came south of Egypt, was going to come in and attack them. And the word got to Rome that he was going to attack Egypt. 
And the message was sent to Antiochus to meet this emissary of Rome on the island of Cyprus. They called it Kittim. Or Chittim. Kittim, actually. And so he went up there and met him on Cyprus. And this emissary from Rome. Rome is ruling the world. You've got to remember that. And when he meets with him on, on Cyprus, he draws a circle around around Mr. Epiphanes. We'll call him Mr. Epiphanes. He's the picture of the man of sin of the Old Testament. And he draws a circle around him and says, don't step out of that circle until you promise you will not attack Egypt. You do, we'll attack you and wipe you out. And he is enraged. All right. He's breathing hard. He's just mad because the boss told him, back off. The boss was wrong. We'll send our we'll send our legions in and destroy you, Mr. Epiphanes. So he does something Rome doesn't mind. He takes off, goes up here to Israel, and attacks Israel. And all and what happens? He he the desolation of abomination, which he raises up a he burns he offers a swine on the altar, God's altar in Israel. And he is the picture of the man of sin at the end of time. And he offers a, and he raises up an Ashtaroth in the temple of God. And that's when Judas Maccabeus raises up his army in Israel. And after two years, he conquers Mr. Epiphanes and drives him back home. But the whole point was, Rome gave him the orders, back off. They were the kings of kings. Now, that's the reason during the first century only southern Judah was back from the captivity. Northern Israel wasn't back. The head of all of Israel, among the Jews, only one person could inherit everything. One person. Usually it was the eldest. Eldest. And the oldest son of Jacob was Reuben. Reuben was unstable as water. When one of the sons shows himself unstable, then the head of the family can appoint whoever he wants to to inherit the kingdom. He would be the inheritor. He was supposed to be the priest. And he was going to be the king. But because he had an affair with his father's, with his mother's, his actually stepmother, which was Rachel's, had an affair with Rachel's handmaid, handmaid, Because he had this affair with her, he was knocked out of priest, king, inheritance. And that was the right of the father to give that inheritance to who he wanted to. So he chose Levi, the third son of Jacob, would get the priesthood. 
when the Bible says, this might help you some, when the Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we would be the firstborn, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. The firstborn was supposed to receive the inheritance. Well, we're the firstborn and we get the inheritance of God now. But instead of Reuben, it was Jacob's, Jacob's name was changed to Israel in the 32nd chapter of Genesis, Genesis 32. So Israel or Jacob appointed Levi as his priest. His fourthborn Judah would receive the kingship. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor will I give it between his feet until Shiloh come. And then his eleventh son Jacob, not Jacob, Judah. And I'll get it right in a minute. Joseph. Joseph had two sons. He had Manasseh and Ephraim. God gave his inheritance to, gave that to Joseph through his second born son Ephraim. You can see that in Genesis, the 48th chapter. That's where Joseph crossed his hands and put his right hand upon the head of Ephraim. And you're going to find Ephraim referred to long after he's dead, when he's referred to the entire book of Hosea, Hosea is talking about judgment coming upon Ephraim. Ephraim means the end, means the ten northern tribes. Ephraim was head of, the, of Samaria, which is northern Israel, which is where Ahab ruled and Ahab brought Baal in the grove into northern Israel when he married Jezebel from up here in Tyre and Sidon. So when he so when it speaks of Ephraim, God judging Ephraim, he's judging Samaria, northern Israel, and he's doing it all because of what Ahab did. Bringing it into Israel. So God scatters Israel, and when you get these four decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, these kings of Persia, only southern Judah came back from the captivity. Only Judah and Benjamin. Northern Israel was called Samaria. And the Bible says, what is this in the Micah, the first chapter? What is the transgression of Jacob? When it says Jacob is talking about all 12 tribes. He said, is it not Samaria? When Ahab brings all this Baal in the grove in there. So they were scattered, but they were not included in the decrees to come back. During the days of Jesus, when the, when the, when the Pharisees say, are you going to, are you going to, Restore the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. It will not be a great big city like it has been with big tears on the end of it and a river running around it 
and a drawbridge coming out here with David on a horse with a star of David on a shield. It won't be that. It cometh not with observation. The word means ocular observance. We say binoculars or something by two ocular things. Ocular means observation. It won't be that way. When you see the kingdom of God, he said the kingdom of God is in you. It's not a thousand year reign. I don't know why I can see that and other people can't see it. If it's in you, how does the kingdom of God come to us? In Luke 11 and Matthew 12. If I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, cast out daemonion, D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. That's our word demon. That's how the kingdom of God comes to us. By the finger of God. What does he do with his finger? He writes upon fleshy tables of our hearts. He wrote on tables of stone in the Old Testament and kept it inside the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the veil, he kept it inside here. The heart, the Ark of the Covenant is sprinkled and now our hearts are sprinkled there in Hebrews 10.22. So the kingdom of God is in you. It's not a thousand year reign. Good grief. Why am I the only guy that can come up and study this number thousand? It's not that. It's the whole idea of the kingdom of the Satan being bound was so he couldn't deceive the Gentiles. And there's only one place where the Gentiles can't be deceived. That's a two thousand year period from Acts 2 until the end. That's why I believe we can be awful close to the end of time. Now, I'm going to read to you some of the things about the kingdom of God. He said another time, if I, can, if I cast, if I with the Spirit of God cast out devils, that's in Matthew 12. Spirit is the truth. That's what he writes upon our hearts. This is not mysterious if you study enough of it. Then he says over here, I can't give you all the places. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of God. There's is. Now, present tense, is the kingdom of God. Verse 10, Matthew 5. Blessed are they which persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's kingdom of heaven in Matthew. Kingdom of God. I said kingdom of God first. It's kingdom of heaven. And then he says in verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, the jots and the tittles. Yod is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. A tittle was the smallest marking. If you change any bit of the word of God, that's a tittle. That's where you change, you would change a, a resh to a b. You cannot change the word of God. I won't say that it's changing the word of God to mess up on thousand, because I believe God caused them to do that, to keep the world confused about thousand. The best way to find something is look for the time factor at the last trump. Do you know I've never heard anyone, no one preach about the last trump? Have you? 
Have you ever heard anybody talk about the time factor of the last trump is the end of time? The Bible says it, doesn't it? Whosoever shall break one of these least commandments shall teach men so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, For I say unto you in verse 20, chapter 5, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case, no not at all, enter the kingdom of heaven. Gosh, I've got a whole bunch of these. How much time do I have, Mike? Well, I did a lot of documentation today, didn't I? Matthew 12, verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the truth, by the Spirit of God, you don't cast out devils in a Pentecostal church without the Spirit of God, without the finger of God. The only way we can cast out devils is give people the truth from our mouths. And that's Christ from within us speaking. Now, when you go over here to Matthew 13, 10, the disciples said unto Jesus, Why speak thou unto us in parables? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And to these Pharisees it's not given. Mysteries always talks about the church. Mysterion. M-U-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. Mysterion comes from muo, meaning to shut the mouth. And the Bible says over in Luke 10, God reveals himself to whomsoever he will. The word reveal is the word apocalypto, A-P-O-K-A-L-U-P-T-O. Apocalypto means to remove the cover. He does that to whom he will. And who does God will to reveal this to? To few. Few that are entering the narrow way. So therefore, it's a mystery to most of the world. That's why the mystery of God in Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 5 is the church. It's a mystery because most of the world can't see it or can't hear it. And then he says, and then he says in verse 24, and another parable he said unto them, the kingdom of heaven, or the church, is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in a field. And when the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. That would be the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. And went his way. And when the, bright, when the blade... This is talking about what the church is like. The kingdom of God is like, not will be like, is like... And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in the field? From whence hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. This is what the church is like. Tares are growing up with the church. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then... 
that we should go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, ye, nay, lest while you gather the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Everything's going to wait till harvest time in the seventh month. Let grow together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather together first the tares and bind them in bundles, and to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. That's the same thing at the end of time. That's what the church is like. And then he says in verse 31, And another parable he said unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in a field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. The mustard seed is the smallest of the seeds that they put in their gardens. It was smaller than a grain of pepper. And the birds of the air loved it. It was a delicacy to them. But when the mustard seed blossomed and grew, it grew to be the largest and the highest and the tallest of all the herbs in Israel. It grew to be 17 to 18 feet tall. And then he says, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it's the greatest of all the herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds who would once have devoured it, it's funny, birds are compared with evil. Man, that's what, that's what Babylon was called, an evil and a hateful bird that came in and destroyed Israel. It was so that the birds of the air would lodge in the branches. When your faith grows, when you're young, you can be devoured by evil. When your faith grows, besides all this, give all the diligence, add to your faith and name seven things. And when you add these things to your faith in Second Peter 1 and 5, you get strong, you be mature, and you, get, and you grow up. And then he says, Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven or the church is likened to leaven, which a woman took. Many times leaven is, is a figure of sin, but in this case it's a figure of righteousness. And hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And that's the church. If it was talking about evil, it's just simply saying, leaven is nothing but yeast. You put a little grain of yeast in, in a big piece of dough, and overnight the whole thing is leavened. So it's talking about the church. And he says in verse 37, He that soweth, the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Now, let's keep going in these. I'm not going to have time to to read all these. Do I have any time, Mike? Six. Huh? Six. I can't hear you. Six. Six. Let's read a couple more. Now, over here in the 16th chapter of of Matthew 
Verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man am? Who am I? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. And others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he saith unto him, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you say I am, apostles? And Simon Peter stepped forward. He may have denied Christ, but he had lots of guts. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah. Bar Jonah, bar means son of. How was he the son of Jonah? Jonah was told, you go to Nineveh and preach repentance to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, the people who were going to carry northern Israel away to captivity. And they were very wicked and evil. And he went to Nineveh. He didn't go to Nineveh at first. He went and ran away and jumped on a ship and was carried out into the Mediterranean. And they said, somebody on the ship is doing wrong. And Jonah said, it's me. Throw me overboard. And then the great fish swallowed him. And he was resurrected out of the belly of the fish. And the 12th chapter of Matthew says... A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There'll be no sign given them but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And that's what Peter preached at Pentecost in Acts 2, the resurrection of Christ. Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, thou art Petra, Petra, and Petros, excuse me, Petros, a small stone. Thou art Petros, and upon this Petra mountain, not you, on the mountain of what you said, I'm the Christ, upon this rock. I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not fail against it. And I will give unto you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's not the keys of St. Peter's Basilica. The keys to the heaven is the gospel. And that's what he preaches at Pentecost. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, there's the same word, Dio. Same word, bind Satan for 2,000 years. Forbid him. This word means to forbid. And whatever be loosed on earth, be loosed in heaven. Luo. It means to permit or forbid. And that was a rabbi's term. When a new rabbi would come into the temple, he'd be handed the book of the law. And he would be handed a key to the book and he would open it. And whatever you bind or forbid on earth will be forbidden. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Heaven was a term for Israel. That's why he says this to him. It's, I got more to say about that. Do I have some time, Mike? Hmm. Don't have much time, do I? 
I was going to say a lot more about this concerning the 18th chapter of Matthew, but I'll come back to that. I'm going to finish going through all these things about the kingdom of God being the church. That's what Augustine believed. I don't know how anybody can come up and find out that at the signing of the last trump, the seventh trump, the mystery of God, the church, is complete and time is no more. How can you come up with a a millennium after that? How can you come up with seven years of tribulation? I hope I've revealed some things to you about about millennium. It takes a lot of thinking to get that in your head. I hope you understand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth, your word. We thank you for truth. Help us to learn more and more and more about it, especially about this this kingdom of God, which is the church. God will give you praise for everything. Fight our battles for us. We'll praise you for everything. Strengthen the church. Strengthen the flock. Help them to be strong in the faith. We'll praise you for Christ's name. Fight our battles in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Rusty. Hope you all get a hold of this. It's a lot of stuff to get a hold of.